0: Several years ago, I was reading an online article from Crosswalk, and it was about prayer. And it was about an acronym that's a simple guide for us, and it's called ACTS, A-C-T-S, ACTS. And the reason why I like acronyms so much like this is that it, it helps remind me of things that I'm trying to learn or I'm trying to do, And especially something like this where um, I kind of always struggled a little bit with prayer. um, And it's something that would help me uh, to remind myself the elements of prayer and how we should be praying to God. I don't know about you, but as I get older, my memory gets a little bit shorter. And it seems that anything that can help me out with my Bible memory or thinking about something like that, Um, Anytime I get some type of ingredients like that, I always enjoy to have. So we also see uh, Jesus giving a model of prayer when uh, his disciples asked him, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. And and it's what we call the Lord's Prayer. Um, And so with the Lord's Prayer, just like Acts here, um, it shows that, you know, we do have a guide on how to pray. Um, And all throughout the Bible, we see great prayers um, as a matter of fact, one of my favorite prayers in the Bible is what's known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, which is in John 17. It's one of my favorite prayers and one of my favorite parts of Scripture. And it's the longest recorded prayer. And after Jesus finishes, his final instructions to his disciples, and this is right before he's betrayed, arrested, and crucified. And in this prayer, Jesus prays for himself, he prays for his disciples. He prays for the world, and he prays for us. So this is another great model of prayer that we find in the Bible. Um, So we can take a model of this, and we can pray for ourselves. We can pray for our communities. We can pray for our families, and we can pray for the world. I remember when I first began taking piano lessons when I was a young boy, and my teacher introduced me on how to remember some of the notes that were there. And so they would tell me in the treble clef, clef, the notes that were there were, you would say, every good boy deserves fudge. And so you knew that the lines were E, G, B, D, and F. And then the spaces on the treble clef spelled out face. So it was F-A-C-E. And then in the bass clef, that's the bottom uh, clef, um, it was all cows eat grass. And that was the spaces. And the lines were, good boys do fine always. So that's how I remembered uh, when I was reading music on how I uh, could, could read that. And so we have a lot of these if you think about it. I mean, I remember as a kid learning the Great Lakes, you know, using homes. or And the order of the uh, solar system was my very educated mother just sent us nine pizzas. <laughs> and so we got a lot of different things like that. And I'm sure as we sit here... We could think of all the tools that we used to use to kind of help us and guide us in certain things that we wanted to remember. Um, And so tonight I want to talk about prayer. I want to talk about a way that we as passionate followers can remember the key elements of prayer. I remember reading another article and the question that they asked was, what do you think is the most important purpose of prayer? And as you can imagine, they have a whole bunch of different Uh, responses. But the top five were to seek God's guidance, to thank God, to be closer to God, to help others, and to improve a person's life. And so those are all great reasons and things that we should uh, be praying about and for um, and focusing our prayers on. And so there's so many other different purposes of prayer that there are. And to first understand what prayer is and the purpose of prayer we have to look at a couple things that prayer is not. Uh, first of all, prayer is not us bargaining with God to get something that we want. It's also not that we're making demands on God. Um, it's also only asking God for things. We don't want to do that. We don't want to ask for just things and money and jobs and material possessions and stuff like that. And it's not, also not a way that we show how spiritual that we are. Um, I love how Warren Worsby wrote it about prayer. He said, The immediate purpose of prayer is the accomplishing of God's will on earth. The ultimate purpose of prayer is the eternal glory of God. And I love the way he said that. It's also interesting is if you you study church history, um, even though they didn't have the Acts formula then, I did read, um, there was a church father named Origen, and he was a great philosopher. And, and, one, and he was from uh, around 80, 185 to 254. And in his book on prayer, he said this At the beginning of prayer, in a, pre- in a preface, glory should be ascribed to God according to one's ability through Christ, who is glorified with him, and in the Holy Spirit, who is to be hymned with him. That's adoration. After this, we should each place thanksgiving, both general enumerating all the benefits that are extended to so many for which thanks are given and those particular blessings which he has personally received from God. That's thanksgiving. After thanksgiving, it seems to me that we should become a pugnant accuser of our own sins before God. First, so that we can ask healing To be delivered from the disposition that instigates sin, and second, to gain forgiveness for past actions. That's confession. After confession, it seems to me that we should add in the fourth place, petition for what is great and heavenly, for ourselves and for people in general, and also for our family and friends. That's supplication. And then he says, adoration again, because, and every prayer should be brought to its conclusion. With the glorification of God through Christ and the Holy Spirit. And so that was origin back in the 100s AD. And he was talking about this, even though, like I said, they don't have that, they didn't have the Acts formula. But as you can see, a lot of the church fathers and a lot of the prayers that we read in scripture kind of follow that pattern. And so when we pray, our hearts need to be focused on God because prayer is, is very important part of our life as Christians. It's how we communicate with and give honor and glory and praise to God. And so we're going to read in Hebrews 4.16, and it says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There will we receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Heavenly Father, I'm just so thankful for this evening that you've given to us, Lord. I pray that as we study and read your word, Lord, I pray that you will give us the knowledge and the wisdom to understand your word, Lord. And I pray that uh, you just continue to be with us and continue to bless us um, as we study your word tonight. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And so we are to come or approach God, as it says, in prayer regularly. And we can do it boldly. Um, this is the present tense that the writer of Hebrews is showing that at the time, at the Old Testament, only the high priest was allowed into the Holy of Holies once a year. But because of Jesus, he was telling them that they and we can approach God at any time and for anything according to his will. And we can approach him with boldness and have insurance that God will listen to us. Because Jesus is our merciful and faithful high priest, Not only can we come to the throne of God with our needs, but we can come boldly to the throne of God with our needs. And so this means that we're not to come proudly or arrogantly, but we're to come humbly. We're to come constantly, freely, with persistence, with confidence, and no reservation. The boldness and assurance that we have has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with, with what Christ has done and his finished work on the cross. So as we're talking about that, let's go to the acronym for prayer of ACTS. And I pray that this will help you as we boldly approach God in our daily prayers. And so the first one is adoration. That's the A, it's adoration. That means glorifying God. And this is the first element of our prayer And that should be our first element of our prayer in our daily life is adoration or praise. We should begin by adoring who he is and what he has done for us by giving praise to the Lord. Uh, We had a guest on the show on Monday and he was really good friends with Rich Mullins. I don't know if you know who Rich Mullins is, but he has always been one of my favorite singers and sadly he passed away in 1997. But this uh, man was a personal friend And Rich Mullins actually lived with him and his wife for a long time. And so he wrote a book about his friend Rich. And so he was on the show, and he was talking about all these different, um, how he just adored God and how it just came out in all of his writings when he would write in his journals and his songs. And many of you know a song that he sang was Our God is an Awesome God. But he also sang Sing Your Praise to the Lord. And I know Amy Grant did that, and she made it a little bit more famous, but it was his original psalm that he wrote. And um, this author said that that's what Rich Mullins loved to do. He loved to sing the psalms. He loved to sing praise to the Lord. And so I think that's what we should do. I mean, if you think about it, we in this world use the word adore pretty loosely. I mean, if you think about it, you say, oh, I just adore you or, you know, Somebody will say that to their spouse, which isn't a bad thing. I mean, I adore my spouse, and I adore my kids, and that's not a bad thing either. But we also adore a lot of our material things. I know my children and my wife adore their dogs, and I don't get that far. But (laughs) we adore a lot of things in life, you know, our houses, our cars, something that's pleasant to look at. So When we say that we adore something, we know what it it means in our our heads, in a worldly thing. But adoration uh, to God is a deep respect or love that is paid to God because we hold him in high regard. We love him for who he is. And God is worth our praise and our adoration. And the word adoration in Hebrew means to bow down and worship and in the greek it usually is translated worship or bow down before or revere and around christmas time and i think i've heard other people say that this is not only a christmas song but around christmas time what do we sing we sing oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him christ the lord amen and that's a song we could sing every single day of our lives It's not just for Christmas because, as I said, he is worthy to be praised and adored. And we should want to show our adoration for God because he's worthy to be praised. Amen? In Ephesians, Paul prays for the Ephesians, and he powerfully prays, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth, Forever and ever. Amen. That, my friends, is adoration. And I love it. And even in David, in 1 Chronicles, he said when he was offering adoration and praise, he wrote, O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, and victory, and the majesty, everything in the heavens. And on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. Also, if you go through the book of Psalms, um, if you do different Bible in a year, if you have like the Bible apps and stuff, a lot of these Bibles in a year, they have you go through daily, but they also have you go through the Psalms and Proverbs a couple times because the Psalms are a wonderful, inspired example of godly prayers and adoration. In Psalm 8, 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. These are psalms of adoration, psalms of love for a God that we love and we uh, cherish. In Isaiah 6:3, it says, "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory." And then who could forget? Again, around Christmas time, we hear Mary say in Luke 1. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So during this time of adoration, we need to continue to focus directly on God, adoring him for who he is. We need to adore him for his names, his character, his roles, and worship and praise him forevermore with all of our heart, mind, and our soul. And so secondly, the number, the C is confession. That's repenting to God. So after we adore God and tell him how great he is and how wonderful he is and call his names and his character, our prayer should include the confession of our sins when we acknowledge who God is and we adore him for all that he is, it's only natural to follow up with confession. And when we come to God in prayer and confess our sins, we're agreeing with him that we have sinned against him by doing what we have done, said, or even thought. Proverbs 28:13 says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy so it's in our human instinct to cover up and hide our sins we saw this with adam and eve in the garden of eden when they hid from god you know our conscience is what makes us ashamed of our sin and we don't want anyone to see or know or hear about it you know and we really don't like that word confession it makes me think of my police officer days when it was so hard to get some people to confess of what they've done or confess of a crime that they did. And then how many people here have a child, an extra child, named not me? (laughs) I do. Because they don't like to confess either. If you ask one of our children if they did something, they always say, not me, wasn't me. So our kids don't even like to confess. It's our human nature. We don't like that. But when we try and cover up or we try and hide our sin, it prevents us from going to God with our sins and it hinders our relationship with him and prevents us from being real about our condition before God. But the good news is, is the second part of this proverb, because the way we receive God's mercy is to confess our sin and repent, to make a complete turnaround. We change our mind about sin and when we do this, we naturally will want to turn away from sin because it's no longer fun anymore. And it's something that we don't want in our lives. And so we as believers in Christ, we can enjoy the cleansing of our sins by the blood of Jesus. Uh, John wrote in 1 John, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from sin. So it's the blood of Jesus that paid the penalty of our sins, past, present, and future. It's the blood of Jesus that doesn't deal with the guilt that we feel when we sin, but it also deals with the stain of that sin that keeps us from that relationship with God that we want to have. A prayer of David, who we know is called a man after God's own heart, this is a prayer of a man who knew that he sinned and asked God for mercy according to his loving kindness and unfailing love when he wrote in Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So he said, have mercy on me, God according to your steadfast love. We also see Jesus uh, providing a similar example of confession of sin in a parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. So these two men went to the temple to pray, and one of the Pharisees stood by himself and said, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, the cheaters, the sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not, not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of my income. How about that prayer? This is kind of a me-focused prayer, focusing on ourselves, telling God what we have done for him, telling God, well, you know, I might be sinful, but I'm not a sinner like that guy over there, right? So we begin to tell God that we're not like those other sinners that are around or we give them a list of things that we've done or going to do or want to do. Kind of like when we pray and we say, God, if you just let me win the lottery, I promise I will give so much money to the church, I'll give it to my family and friends. We make all these promises because we're self-focused and it's a me-centered prayer. But the second man, this horrible tax collector that the Pharisee prayed saying, I'm not like this guy, what did he say? He said, "O oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner." Now that's a prayer of confession. That's kind of like David's prayer. This tax collector didn't say, "Be merciful for me, Lord. I am not like this Pharisee," or "Be merciful on me. I'm only human. I promise I'll try to do better job." He said, "Be merciful on me, O Lord." I am a sinner. He humbly came to the Lord in confession. And so the tax collector did not rely on himself in his prayer. The tax collector relied relied on the mercy and compassion of God. He recognized that he was a sinner who needed the mercy of God. And then Jesus said that this sinner, this tax collector, not the Pharisee, returned home justified. For those who exalt themselves, Will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus tells them that the Pharisee saw his prayer as a way to exalt himself before God, and he was humbled. But the tax collector, who confessed that he was a sinner, approached God in humility, and because of that, he was exalted before God. Uh, I didn't put this down, but if you write down in your notes Psalm 51, that's another great uh, example of humbly coming before the Lord in confession that David wrote. And so, next in our prayer should be a prayer of thanksgiving. I think thanksgiving is a pretty smooth transition from confession. And so, thanksgiving is expressing gratitude to God, offering thanksgiving to God. When we pray, we give thanksgiving, and we remember the grace and mercy that God has shown on us, and we focus on what He has done for us. We begin, and we're thankful, and this is all, this is all throughout Scripture, too, uh, being thankful, and I put a couple uh, verses down, um, but it's emphasized throughout the Word of God. In Ephesians 5.20, it says, "...and give thanks for everything to God the Father, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. And then 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Never stop praying, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. And so these are just a few of the thanksgiving prayers and, and the examples of some prayers of thanksgiving Um, and a couple weeks ago I spoke about how to respond to trouble and stress. And when we do go through these troubles and stress in our lives, one of the ways that I talked about responding well to trouble and stress is through prayer and praying about it and going to God and thanking Him for all that He has done for us. Um, And so we have to pray for everything um, and pray with thanksgiving to Him. You know, there's so many ways that we can show that we're thankful. You know, it's as simple as just saying, "God, thank you for all that you've given to me and all these blessings in my life." I know that there's been so many times that I've just prayed in my heart, in my mind, or out loud, and I just say, "God, if you can just get me through this, Lord," and and then when I do, I immediately thank you, Lord. It's just a quick prayer of thanks that you know I'm just so thankful that you know He's placed me where I am. And we can show our thankfulness by telling someone that you love, that you're thankful for them. It's a wonderful way to to show our gratitude and thanksgiving. I know that my mother-in-law, a lot of times when we go there for Thanksgiving, she has us write down what we're thankful for on a tablecloth. So everybody kind of gathers around and just writes down on this tablecloth, and she saves it. And, uh, you know, we kind of chuckle about it, but I think that's a good idea, just to show how thankful that we are for the things that God has given to us. And so there's many ways that we can show our thankfulness to God. And we see Jesus giving examples of praying and thanksgiving many different times. And one in particular is one that we do every Sunday at the Lord's Supper. You know, Jesus in Matthew 26, 27 says he took the cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and he said, each of you drink from it. And so Jesus was giving us an example and thanking the Father, and thanking him and showing us, that, reminding us that God cares about us. God hears our prayer when we pray. And so the fourth and final one is S, and that's supplication, making our requests to God. And so making supplication means that you let your requests be known to God. And this is when we ask God for his help to meet our needs, to work in our lives, and also to intercede for others. And in Philippians 4, 6, Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And so I want to tell you tonight that there are not only some areas of our lives that God is concerned about? God is concerned about every single area of our life. He is concerned about us, he loves us, and he wants the best for us. And just like the church that Paul was writing to here in Philippians, they were going through a lot of stuff. They were anxious about a lot of stuff. They began to worry just like we do today. We have a lot of uh, anxiousness and and troubles and trials that we go through, and and they had the same ways. And Paul knew that because not only that, but Paul knew this because as he was writing this letter, he was under pressure because he was writing under Roman house arrest. But Paul tells them, and he tells us today, that there is no need to worry or be anxious or let things that happen rob your joy because the solution is to give our problems and our worries and our troubles to the one who can do something about them, and that's Jesus. This is why Paul tells us to pray in every situation, whether it's good or bad, and bring our requests to God. And so in doing this, we shouldn't look at it as like God's giving us just some type of blank check to do anything that we want or everything that that we want to do. But what it is is that when we come to the Lord in prayer and let our requests be known to him, that he will change us. And then we will begin to have what Philippians 4, 7 says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, that will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So God will give us peace in the storms of life when we take the time to go to him in prayer. Many times when we are going through problems, we forget to pray. How many times do you go through a, a situation and and you forget to pray. I know there's so many times when, when I have something on my mind or if I'm anxious about something or if, if I have some type of trial or trouble and I start worrying about it and I don't pray right away, Christy will tell me, stop, did you pray about it? And I'll say no. And so she'll remind me to pray about it. Um, so many times when we're going through these problems, we forget to pray. And many times when we do pray, we ask him to give us the outcome that we want instead of remembering that it is he that is in charge it is God that's in charge and he alone has the power to change any situation according to his will. And we see the petitions being made to God for others in the Bible as well. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy, he wrote first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And then he also wrote in Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I like how one commentator wrote it. He said, the idea is all kinds of prayer or prayer upon prayer. We should use every kind of prayer we can think of. Group prayer, individual prayer, silent prayer, shouting prayer, walking prayer, kneeling prayer, eloquent prayer, groaning prayer, constant prayer, fervent prayer. And then he said, just pray. So we are commanded to make supplications for everyone. This is very important to Paul and in his heart and mind. And that's why he wrote a lot about it. Because he says, first of all, and that's what he says in it. He says, hey, first of all, I want you to do this. So it should be important to us because it was important to him to pray for everybody. But then you say, well, what about that one person? Yes, that person too. We need to pray for that person too that we're thinking of. Because we have a great privilege and responsibility to join God in praying for our leaders both in the local level and the federal level. We have a great privilege and responsibility to pray for foreign leaders. We have a great privilege and responsibility to pray for our neighbors, our communities, our church family, our family, our friends, and as Paul wrote, all people. I don't think I've ever met someone that I should not pray for. I think every single person that I ever met or meet, I should be praying for. To pray for all people means to pray for those who don't know Jesus, that they will cross the line and become passionate followers of Christ. To pray for those that we don't necessarily get along with and who seem to annoy us sometimes. To pray for those we love. To pray for our pastors and their families. To pray for our community, our church. I think you get my point. It means to pray for everybody. And so as we apply this Acts model of prayer to our daily life, we begin to learn to worship God more fully and give him the glory and honor and praise that he deserves. Contrary to the world's popular belief, prayer does change things. It changes us. Prayer is about pausing and listening to him. So tonight, I want to invite you to go deeper in your prayer life because God desires us to have that relationship with Him, of speaking to Him like we would our best friend or somebody that we love or our loving parent or spouse. It's one of the greatest joys that we can have is to speak to our Heavenly Father. God wants us to talk to Him from our hearts. And as we grow in our love for Jesus, we will want to talk to Him more, and more. And so some of the things that I wrote down that we can do to try to help us uh, pray a little bit better and to pray more and to think about praying is the first thing is to read your Bible daily. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Bible is God's word and it's his love letter to us. It provides the wisdom and direction that we need. And it's, as Peter says, a reliable lamp that shines in a dark place. When we take time and we read and study God's word, it's powerful. And it brings blessing to us. It encourages us in our daily walk, in our daily life. And it is living and active. And it prepares and equips us as we journey together in this life. So how can I make sure that I read my Bible daily? Well, the first thing that I do is I pick a time every single day to read God's Word. I try to pick a time that I know that it's going to be uninterrupted. And I think I've said this before, is that normally my time in the morning is when I get to work. I try to get to work a little bit early. I make the coffee, I pour coffee, and then I go and I study and read God's Word until everybody starts coming in and it starts getting busy. But that's my time every single day that I do that. And then secondly, pick a place for quiet time with the Lord. Like I said, my office, I close my door, and I just read God's Word for the day, and I study it. Um, Read with someone. You know, share daily Bible readings with others. That's a great way to uh, edify each other and, and to make sure that you're reading God's Word. And then don't skip a day. Don't think I'm too busy. If you miss that time in the morning, if you have something going on, or if your time's in the evening and you miss something, just take that time, but don't skip. Try not to skip a day. The second thing is to immerse yourself in the Psalms. I love reading the Psalms. There's so many great prayers, and, and it's, just, it's just a great um, thing to do is just continue to read those daily. So I try to read a couple psalms a day, if I can. If they're really long, then I'll just read one. But immerse yourself in the psalms. Uh, Psalm 1, 1, and 2 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. And so throughout the psalms, the term the law of the Lord is usually described As God's entire word. And the righteous person will delight in the Lord. And so that's us reading our Psalms and delighting in the Lord and meditating on His word as we do our Bible studies together. Uh, Reading God's word should make us happy and excited. We should be excited to open up God's word and read it. And reading through the Psalms daily and immersing ourselves in them is a great way to, to pray. Um, So many people do pray the Psalms and they're they're just a great, because the Psalms are a collection of Holy Spirit-inspired prayer and we can use God's word to speak to God. And the third and final thing is uh, set aside time for prayer. Psalm 62.8 says, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God invites his people to pour out their heart, their sorrows, their joys, their trust, their doubt. He invites us to do it all before him. And so an easy way to make God our refuge is simply to ask him to be. David said, pour out your hearts to him. That's what David did all the time. He poured out his heart to God about what was going on in his life. And he asked God to intervene on his behalf. And when we turn to God for help or protection, we begin to know him as our refuge and our strength. And so tonight I want to ask you if you'll do a 30-day prayer and psalms challenge. I remember reading, and I heard uh, just recently another uh, pastor talking about this, Um, there's a story about a man named uh, Sam Shoemaker. And he was, it was in 1955, he launched the Pittsburgh experiment, which was a prayer experiment. And there was this ex-marine drill sergeant that was at one of his talks, and he was giving this 30-day prayer challenge to pray for somebody that you don't necessarily get along with. And just do that for 30 days and just keep praying for that person over and over again. So he challenges these people to do this. And so this ex-marine drill sergeant challenged him on his 30-day prayer challenge. He said, there's no way that I'm going to take your challenge and pray for anybody that I don't like. And so he said, can you just do this for me? Just do this and then come back after 30 days. Well, after 30 days of this drill sergeant doing this, he came back a passionate follower of Christ. Not only that, but he became a minister of the gospel and took over for Sam when he died. And his name was Don James. So if we take that challenge and we pray for 30 days straight and make a commitment to pray for those in our lives, and I know pastors talked about this before, about people in your lives that you have written down to pray for every single day, even those that you don't necessarily get along with. And so if you pray the Psalms every day and you read the Psalms for 30 days and you pray for somebody for 30 days, I think you'll find that not only will your heart change, but maybe their heart will change as well. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you with a heart full of adoration and praise. You are the creator of the universe, and we love you. We worship you with all that we have. You are the Alpha and Omega, the everlasting God. Lord, we confess to you that we have fallen short in many different ways, and our heart grieves because of our weakness. Forgive us, Lord, for all the times that we have missed the mark of your righteousness. We humbly ask for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, also for your abundant blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for the gift of life that you've given to us, our family, our friends, our church. I thank you, Lord, for all the the times that you've carried us during those times that we've had trials and troubles in our lives. And also for the provisions for our daily needs that you've given to us. So, Lord, we bring our needs and our needs of others before you, Lord. I pray that you continue to bless us and guide us and lead us in a path of righteousness. I pray tonight, Lord, for healing and comfort for all those who are sick and in need of your touch tonight, Lord. I pray for all of those who are being affected by this storm in Florida, Lord. I pray that you'll continue to keep them safe, Father, and that the storm will back down and not be a hurricane. Lord, I ask that your peace surrounds all who need your perfect peace tonight as they go through the trials of life. We lift up our leaders, Lord, both locally and federally, that they will seek you in every single decision that they make. I pray for our communities, our neighbors, that if they don't know you, that they will see something different in us and that they will see you in us and they will want to become more like you, Lord. I pray for our loved ones that you bless them with your presence and your protection and that you open the hearts to anyone that doesn't know you to your truth and reveal your great love for them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you for watching online and we hope you have a great rest of the week and we hope to see you on Sunday for our 10 a.m. service. Have a great night, thank you.